Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the Hearts dedicated podcast coming to you from Scotland with me, Laurie Dunsire, and stateside with uh, the man across the pond, Mark Donaldson. Good morning, sitting here with my copy of Believe, Hearts from Turmoil to Triumph at Tynecastle, because we're going to talk today, Laurie, about the Paul Hartley, excellent Paul Hartley interview with Cy Ferry. Um, hopefully, as Laurie suggested last week, you've had a chance to watch that. And the most of it's about Paul's time at Tynecastle, focusing on 2005, 2006. So we're going to have a good discussion about that today as well. How are you? I'm not bad, thank you. Um, I'm still in a bit of a huff about Sunday. <laughs> we're we're going to talk. I, I don't know if you get this, but there's sometimes there's games. Sometimes the Hearts game doesn't affect me much, and it, it usually affects me to a degree. But if we lose. Sometimes I'll accept it and I can brush it off quite easily. But Sunday really irked me. Um, afterwards, I was in a mood with the other half. Um, couldn't be bothered talking about it. And you know when people then belittle it and it's like, oh, it's only a game. You must be used to, used to losing <laughs> by now. And, and that just that just irks me more. So I was still annoyed later on. I was ranting to everyone. I was ranting to people who work at heart. So I was ranting to my mates. I was like, like Laurie, you need to get over it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not over it. It'll take a few days. You're still annoyed. You're, you're still. <laughs> I can, I can tell. You're still frustrated. I'm still annoyed just because we're about to talk about it. So yeah, we we will talk about Motherwell against Hearts, which happened on Sunday. Um, we will talk about, as Mark said, Paul Hartley's interview with Simon Ferry, and whether you've seen it or or listened to it because there's a podcast version or not. Um, there's some interesting things that have come from it, so we will talk about them. And I think Mark especially will hopefully have a, a good insight because around the time that Paul Hartley and Vladimir Romanov were um, influential at hearts, Mark was obviously working for the club and writing books and, and whatnot. Um, we will also then look ahead to the St Mirren game, which is hearts' next match. Uh, but I suppose let's get into it and start with Motherwell against hearts at Fir Park. Well, first up, Mark, the team, no surprise, was a few changes. Hearts had played Auchinleck Talbot the match prior with a 4-4-2 going away from home for this one in the league against an informed Motherwell side looking for their longest winning streak in the top flight since 2014. Uh, back in January 2014, I probably jinxed it at the start of the game on commentary. I said the last time Motherwell had recorded six uh, consecutive league wins in the top flight was in January 2014. Win number six was a victory by a single goal against Hearts. Um, so as soon as I said that, I probably should have just turned off commentary and accepted that we were going to lose. But we don't work that way. So no surprises really for you, Mark, and the team. It was a 3-4-2-1, if you want to call it that. Um, don't think the surprise it was back to the back three with obviously Michael Smith out as well. Godinho came in, um, Mulraney on the left, and Ollie Lee out, as I think you expected as well. Yeah, I mean, there's no point in wasting three or four minutes talking about the the the, the team because again, <laughs> well, no, there weren't that many surprises. That that's yeah. all, and it's a team that a lot of people could probably have picked throughout the game if you you went with the fact that Lee hasn't been playing that well, so it was no surprise he started. Uh, Naismith behind Uche, Jim. Yeah, I mean, no no real no real surprises in three four two one. And Hart started reasonably well uh, 
say they were dominating play in the opening 12 or 13 minutes, but I thought they started slightly better than Motherwell. Uh, and then a, a slight sucker punch, 13 minutes. Um, Jake Hastie, who has been in terrific form since he broke... I didn't even know who he was a couple of months ago. And now he's just been playing sensationally and he scored a terrific goal against St Mirren in Motherwell's previous game 11 days prior to this one. And he then scored a very similar goal. Now this is a goal which Christoph Berra will probably be made to look at a few times more. I don't think he'll want to though because Hasty starts from, he's almost at the touchline really when he cuts in and he just runs it better till he's about 15 yards from goal and then kind of whacks it into the net. Um, and this is going to come up, I think, and it's come up before, to be fair. We've spoken about it, other fans have spoken about it, and it's important to speak about it because this goal highlights it. Christoph Berra does not look comfortable on the left side of a back three at all. And no. that goal really just summed it up. It did. And he he looked like he had lead boots. And he looked like he was he was kind of running in treacle, Christoph Berra, which look, let's put this into context. He's up against a, a tricky nineteen year old that would have probably made um, world-class defenders look slightly unorthodox. Let's give credit for the goal, but it didn't show Christoph in good light. Now, this is a podcast that we do every week, and we identify issues, but what we try and do is we try and solve and rectify issues as well. So, bearing that in mind, what's the solution for this? Do we move Christoph into the centre? Of a three, what do we do? Personally, I think we have to look at going to a back four again. I mean, that's how we started. Okay. That's how we started the season. And I know that we've discussed in the last couple of months, well, a couple of months ago, that the formation for the second half of the season should be based around a back three. With at that point, we saw a Jimmy Dunn when we first spoke about it, but a Suter, a Berra, and maybe a Michael Smith in between them. Obviously, that option's gone now. I think with with the cards we've been dealt and mainly the way that Berra in particular has struggled at the left side of that back three, because I don't think I don't think putting him in the middle is the right answer. I I think you lose so I think you want I ideally I think you want John Suter in the middle because he's the ball player out of those the, the options we have at centre back. The man who can step up and in a similar way to when Michael Smith was there, if if you're almost your old-fashioned sweeper steps up with the ball and goes up to the opponent's half and wants to dictate play, I think it makes more sense that he's got players either side of him who can then, I guess, tighten up a little bit in case yeah, he loses yeah. possession. So I think Berra in the middle wouldn't work. I think Berra's going to play. He's a captain. He's a good defender, Berra. I don't have any qualms about his defensive qualities in a back two, in a in obviously a back two pairing centre-backs with full-backs either side of him. It doesn't help that at the moment it's got Mulraney in front of him. And Mulraney, I've actually been impressed with in an attacking sense in recent games. But he, he's not a defender. His defensive positioning's terrible. Uh, he didn't track a couple of times. He looked very uneasy when the ball came over him and he was having to, I guess, you know, face towards his own goal or he was under pressure. He's not a defensive player at all. He's a winger. So you've yes. got a winger on the left and you've got a fairly slow centre back at the left side of the back three. I mean, to me, if I was the opposition, I'd be like, attack down that side, you know, get get speed, get balls in the corner. They're going to struggle because you've got someone who's a defender but doesn't have any pace really and struggles. And you've got someone who's a winger and doesn't really have any defensive qualities. Laurie, we identified this against Kilmarnock. Yeah. When we were discussing that game, 
I, I suggested to you that Hearts were slightly fortuitous, given that Burke pretty much had free reign mm-hmm. and that yeah. Jake Mulraney was, was forced into kind of playing two positions because when Hearts were attacking, he was trying to get forward. But when Hearts were defending, if he'd been forward, he was he was trying to get back to help out Krista. And it, it looked a little bit uh, ungainly. The four's an interesting one, and I certainly wouldn't rule that out. The problem we've got this weekend <laughs> is that Garucho's suspended, Mitchell's yep. out injured for six weeks or so. But it's interesting that we 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 talk different weeks about the same player and we have, we have different things to say. And Mulraney has played well, but I'm totally with you. And that I, I I don't want him near when it comes to defending because if I'm the opposition, I'm immediately identifying that as as a weak spot. And and I think you're spot on with with Mulraney as a left wing back and Berra as the left sided uh, defender of three. I'm targeting that all day long. Now, we'll get away with it in some games. We might get away with it if we play that formation against St. Mirren because we're going to have a lot of the ball and Mulraney is far more likely to be doing a lot more attacking than he is defending. But if we're looking for a solution long term and maybe three doesn't work if... I mean, the other thing is as well, you, 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 you've got different games to play. Home against St. Mirren is very different to away to it's Aberdeen or Rangers yeah. or, or Celtic. So it's horses for courses. So if we are to come up with a four... Assuming people are available, then I think with Peter Haring back, I'm more confident in the protection for the back four with Haring. And Haring can just drop a little bit as well to become an auxiliary centre-back or, or maybe just to become a total protector in there in defensive midfield. So you could have 4-1. And what do you do? Do you do 3-2? Do you do 4-1? You have options. But if you're doing 3-2... I think that's more central for, for what Hearts have. Because if you're doing 4-1-4-1, you then require a Morrison type on one side and you need a natural player on the other side. And I don't think we have that. So we've spoken as well about fullbacks playing in two positions and overloading one side with a fullback and a wide midfielder. And on the other side, having, whether it was Michael Smith or whoever it was, the whole flank to himself, it means you're more narrow in midfield. But if Hearts are, are to play four at the back going forward, it would be Peter Haring holding. I think they're maybe more suited to, to a 3-2 as opposed to a 4-1. What do you think? I'm not sure. <laughs> and the problem right now is the fact that I could give you a back four that I like, which has Beran Suter in the middle, has Michael Smith at right back, and has Ben Guruccio at left back. Ben Guruccio suspended, Michael Smith's injured for a month and a half. Which then obviously changes the options. I, I think if everyone's available, uh, yeah, a four-two-three-one, I think would work potentially. You're going two, well. two. You're going two holders. Two. Okay. Um, but but I mean, yeah, we're we're our, our options are limited just now. I think um, you 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 look at the right side as well, and I'll be honest, I don't think Marcus Godinho's up to it as well. I I, I think he's obviously slightly more defensive. Well, than... could Jamie Brandon as well? I yeah, know, I know he's, he's back. I, yeah. I know he's back available. Um, is it a toss of the coin between Brandon and, and Godinho? Does, do you prefer one to the other? Because I'd I know give, what we're saying I'd give Brandon in an ideal world. I'd give Brandon a chance, to be yeah. honest. Well, look, um, we've been saying for weeks we'd give Harry Cochran a chance, but he, he must have, like, pictures of, I don't know. I don't know what he's got that Craig Levine's <laughs> not playing him. Um, I was going to say, but, if he's got dodgy pictures for Craig Levine, maybe that's maybe that's what he needs to get playing. <laughs> Some yeah, but, blackmail. Uh, 
See, when you start a, start a sentence, you're like, shit, where's this going? Let's, uh, let's backtrack quickly. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, players are picked on the way they play in training. Players are picked on the way they, they, if they got a chance in the reserves. We don't see that. We just, we're these two guys that do a podcast every week. Um, and we can only we can only comment on what we can see. We, we don't see them every day and move. There's always a, there's a reason why every single player plays. And that, that's up to the, the people that are picking the team. While we're on this kind of soapbox right now and being not hypercritical, but just being really honest, um, I think Uche's got to find a, a happy medium here between not being a greedy bastard and trying to get his first goal, <laughs> but just being more of a team player because it's going to come. He'll get his goal. Might be this weekend. Hopefully it is. But I've seen opportunities that he's been guilty of either being too greedy or, or what and it's totally understandable you're desperate you're frustrated at being out for all that time you're desperate to to get the goal and he's putting on instagram good win blah 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 recently and i think it was the Ochenleck game yeah um annoyed at not getting a goal i get that we put yourself in that position you're desperate for a goal there's a choice between taking a shot and maybe passing to someone that's in a better position look we're all taking the shot so it is a bit hypocritical, but I think it's just a realization of look for for the team, do what you can. Um, still not convinced by uh, Bozanich uh, or Lee. Um, Jim, well he plays Claire. Fine, no, I, I'm I'm growing honestly. I'm 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 growing towards him. Um, I just your co-com at the weekend, Andrew. Yeah. Saying he thought he had a very good game. He thought he was exceptional. Now, again, mea culpa here. I was doing Spal against Fiorentina at the weekend. So I, I caught the second half. I, I kind of might have perhaps had the game, the game on while I was doing the commentary with no sound down. Maybe. I can't categorically confirm nor deny that was the case while I was commentating on a Serie A game. But I did see the second half more in depth to an extent, although I was driving home. So I saw what I saw, and I think a draw was a fair result. I'd be more pissed off at losing two points than losing one. And I know we're going to get to to the minutiae of incidents and decision-making or whatever. There's nothing worse than, for me, in a three-point league, for three points for a win, losing two points to a last-minute equaliser. It just, I know it was hard to take, but I wasn't as pissed off as I would have been had we been 2-1 up and we'd conceded that last-minute goal to make it 2-2. Because in a weekend that Aberdeen should have beaten St Mirren and didn't, Kamarnock lost a last-minute goal to Celtic. It is what it is. We've got St Mirren now, but then we've got a tough run of games. I don't think we've capitalised the way we should have done from the games to begin 2019, but we can't change it, and we're in the position we are going into the last, what, 12 games of the season. Um, in terms of the game incident, Stephen Naismith obviously levelled 37 minutes in. Um, it's a goal, actually, I'm not going to speak about it too much, but at the time, I didn't give him enough credit for it. Um, he obviously fluffed his lines with the first one, and I thought it was a kind of a stab, just throwing his boot out, and it was a little bit fortunate. But when I saw it again in the replay at half time, mm-hmm. it's actually a terrific finish. He knows exactly what he's doing there. Correct um, me if I'm wrong, I think, and I can't remember which game it was, you, you'll have commentated on it, if, if this happened. Did he not score a similar goal in that if at first you don't succeed, he was able to get it at the second attempt? I, I'm sure I saw that in a Tynecastle game. I've got no idea who it was against. I might be wrong. 
It's just one of these things. You know when you think you've seen something similar before, but you've got no idea where? Deja vu, yeah. Yeah, your mind might be playing tricks on you, or it might actually have happened. But it's just the perseverance. If it doesn't work the first time, you've you've got the defender on the back foot. And it was a smart finish. And I, I thought that was it. I mean, in the, the second half, how there were no goals before I Turnbull's... I mean, that could have been anything. We we came really close. They came close. It was From what I saw in the second half, it was... It was amazing that it, it it was about to end 1-1 until then. Yeah, it was very open. Um, and to be fair to Craig Levine, he made attacking moves. I mean, especially bringing Keena on. We went to a 4-4-2. We had two strikers up front. Stephen Nesmith should have won the game for Hearts. You know, he missed a glorious opportunity, which he smashed high into the yeah, but, uh, but Yeah, Th- this is this is selective um, memory here. And if I'm Motherwell, they had two or three really good chances as well. So... You can't you, you can't just say oh if, if Naismith is because if you, if you're doing that we had they had one cleared off the line as well. I I don't think either side prior to the late goal could honestly have said we deserve to win. Oh, you I'm can not, argue. I'm, I'm not saying that, but what I was the, what I was going to go with that is to to do with Doyle later was the fact that obviously Doyle's being you know castigated for a an error, whereas you know the other end we have a striker who missed an open goal. When it was one-one as well, so I, I don't don't get me wrong. I, I fully agree. Both sides had plenty of chances. I'd say Motherwell actually had, I think Motherwell had more chances, but we had the better chances, is what I would possibly, possibly. say. Um, yeah, possibly, and, and Doyle had some good saves. He did. Um, he did in the second um, half as well. So it's okay. just it's one of these. And for, for their winner, right? In fact, I hate. I I know you hate me going out of of kind of chronological order. So their winner cannot be spoken about until the decision that led to the winner is discussed. So I'll, I'll hold that. I'm actually <laughs> going to behave this week. I'll hold my thoughts about Doyle. I know you're, you're honestly, you're, you're desperate to get to this. You've been sending me messages. Where do I find the laws of the game? I want the actual one. I want to go into this. Right. Bring it. I'm, I'm ready for you. Okay. So yeah, injury time. Um, Liam Grimshaw takes a, a, a very poor touch. Ball goes five or six yards, at least ahead of him. Ben Gruccio jumps in, gets the ball, and I'm com- and I'm commentating on it, and I'm looking ahead. I'm like, great tackle by Gruccio, um, Hearts moving players forward, and I was I was stunned to hear the whistle. I was a bit confused at first, and then I looked, and you could see Christoph Berra with his head in his hands and starts, you know, throwing his arms in the air, and I was like, he he's about to send him off, and I was I was gobsmacked to be honest. I was very I was very surprised he'd given a free kick, Nick Walsh, and I was stunned. When he showed a red card, I was absolutely stunned. Um, and we will go into what happens, obviously, with a free kick. But now, in terms of this, this has caused obviously lots of debate. We, we've we've seen pundits saying it wasn't even a foul. We've seen pundits saying it's a red card all day long. So we've seen completely both sides of the spectrum. I put out there my rant afterwards. Now, I get a very maroon-tinted response when I rant because the majority of my followers on Twitter are Hearts fans. So the majority of my responses were agreeing that it wasn't a foul or saying maybe a foul, but it's definitely not a red. And there was a minority of people saying they thought it was a red card. However, that's not necessarily a good interpretation of what the general feeling would be beyond Hearts fans. So Mark, from your perspective, I'll say what I saw with the tackle was Ball's open. No one's in possession of the ball. Ben Garuccio sees that. He jumps to reach the ball, so he's got one leg out. 
he gets to the ball first cleanly before the player and then the player obviously follows through after so there's a coming together after he's got to the ball he's at the he's on the ground when he gets to the ball and comes away with it i don't think there's excessive force i don't think he's trying to injure the player i don't think he's endangering the player because he times it to the way that he gets to the ball prior i just didn't see a foul so i've looked at the laws i've looked at the replay a few times a few people who did say it was a red card and they told me oh, mate it's the rules as soon as both feet leave the ground in any way it's a red card it's okay well and i can't see that i still to me it's still interpretation it's not as soon as you know you don't have two legs because to be honest if that's the case then there's going to be so many challenges and blocks that are red cards throughout a game because when a player stretches to get to something inevitably both his feet will leave the ground at some point so that's my views over to you with the other view <laughs> the other opinion of it okay i'll try and like i usually do give you some other things to chew over that you maybe haven't thought about before mm-hmm. sure yeah nick walsh is the referee. He's one of the so-called up-and-comers who has a FIFA badge, and a lot of them are sticklers for the rules, for the laws. However, Graham Chambers was the assistant on the far side. The minute the challenge comes in, he's waving furiously, and he's, he's obviously on the, the intercom system to say to the referee that, in his opinion, yeah. that, was a, that was a red card offence. Now the referee has seen it, but he's also got the immediate word in his ear of, oh, that's, that's a red, that's a red. So he then has, I don't know, three, four seconds to, to make his mind up. Now, the decision is, is read. Whether you like it or, or whether you, you don't, Craig Levine afterwards came out uh, when we were all thinking, wonder if they're going to appeal that. And he basically said, well, it's a ridiculous challenge by, by Garuccio. Okay, let's, let's look into this um, with a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. The, for me, the big issue here is the way that the laws, current laws, now this has been the case since Law 12 was reworded in 2005, they're open to ambiguity. They're they're open to different interpretations. That's why we've got some saying red, some saying probably yellow, some saying not even a foul. The way that the game is now, that is a foul all day long. Every referee is going to give a foul for that. And I get what you're saying, that's probably not a foul. We've watched football before and after the way that the laws have been reworded. Prior to the the laws being reworded, it's a good tackle. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He wins the ball. I don't think he really endangers the player based on the wording that it used to be. But the way that the laws are worded now, let me give you three examples, okay? Mm -hmm. There's careless, there's reckless, and there's excessive force. Careless is when a player shows a lack of attention or consideration when making a challenge or acts without precaution. You could argue it's careless. Now, with careless, no disciplinary sanction is needed. It's still a free kick. And I think, and it's funny, I I retweeted Michael Stewart with a comment of my own saying that it's a nonsense that you don't even think that's a free kick. A lot of players these days are still thinking of the way it used to be. It isn't that way anymore because player safety has to be taken into ultimate consideration. It's I don't like that. It, well, I, I totally agree that player safety should be taken into consideration, but it does open it opens up to conjecture of of namby pambiness. I don't know we've had tangenticity in words that don't exist in the past, <laughs> and namby pambiness can be this week's call my bluff word <laughs> of the week. Now, football's gone soft. There's an element of that, and that you you can't get away with what you used to get away with. 
the bottom line is, for me, it's probably a yellow. Okay, so we've spoken about careless. Reckless is when a player acts with disregard to the danger to or consequences for an opponent and must be cautioned. I don't think it's that easy to argue that tackle under that reckless act. I, I, I think you get fewer people arguing that, yeah, it's a yellow, than what we do have with the re- uh, with the, the red card. And a player who commits a reckless foul is cautioned for unsporting behaviour. It's fine, it's a free kick, it's a yellow card for Garucho, we get on with it. You saw Christoph Berra's reaction, and it was it, it, it was like someone had told him that... He's playing Father the left Christmas, side of a back three. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Father Christmas doesn't <laughs> exist, but probably playing on the left side's worse. The other one is excessive force. Using excessive force is when a player exceeds the necessary use of force and endangers the safety of an opponent and must be sent off. Graham Chambers, the assistant, thinks that that tackle by Ben Garuccio was excessive force. And the referee has agreed with him. And that's why we've ended up with a red card. So the whole thing for me stems to the way that the law is worded is open to too much conjecture. It's the same with handball. I, I would like to see a rewrite Mm-hmm. And again, we're looking at issues. We're looking at what the problem is and how to solve it. Oh, don't, don't, would, <laughs> let's not go into handball today. No, one. no, no. Well, that, that's <laughs> what I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll get that in the weeks to come. But for, for this one, the problem that you have here is that challenge could be made 10 times. And I think you would get, I think you'd probably get six out of 10 that that would be a red and four, it would be a yellow. I don't think you'd get any where it would just be a free kick. But there's your, there's your problem. It depends on the referee or the assistant. That shouldn't be the case. It should be a case that a tackle like that, the way that the law is worded, should be, okay, it's this. There, there can be no conjecture, although there would be. So for me, the, the way that the law is worded is the issue here because it opens up to conjecture. One week you get a referee sending a route off. Another week with the same tackle you'd get a yellow card, and that's the big issue for supporters. It's the inconsistencies of decisions when we think we see a similar decision one week and then a similar uh, action the next week, and they're dealt with totally differently. That's the problem for me. What makes it careless is what I would... So what may I know? I know you're giving me... There's lots of words and there's lots of definitions. and Careless is because it's a lunge. So what are we saying here? Why, so why is it a lunge? It's a, slide, he's, he's, it's a slight tackle. I mean, it's, it's a lunge. You're always lunging when you're tackling. I mean, it's just... A, sli- a slight tackle... Right. Listen to what you've just said. A slight tackle. That is when you slide, right? You don't. You can't, you can't slide through the air. Okay, well, what I would say, what defines a tackle, because I was actually... I was sitting there reading this. Um, ba 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 la 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 Where is it? Um, so, a tackle, in the definitions of the same laws that we're looking at, is a challenge for the ball with the foot on the ground or in the air. That's a tackle. So the laws in your, what you've given me, the laws of the game, the FIFA laws of the game says a tackle can be on the ground or in the air. It's with the foot, though. So that immediately tells me, I know what you're saying, so I shouldn't say slight tackle because it's not a slight tackle. It's a tackle. It's a challenge for the ball. Okay, that's fine. Um, so what we're saying then, are we saying, because I think Ben Grudger times this perfectly. He, he, he jumps because he needs to get to a point which is a little bit further ahead of him, but he times it so well that he jumps and when he... Hits the ground, he's got to the ball. So he kind of reaches the ball with his foot, 
planted on the the right foot is hitting the ground as he gets to the ball, blocks it, and the player kind of tumbles over him as he reaches there. The player studs actually going to Ben Garuccio in the end, which I'm not not saying that's a foul the other way, but that's who studs. Oh, no. oh can you imagine? Uh, oh. Uh, oh, hey, wait, don't get me. Hamilton, <laughs> Hamilton Hearts, Hamilton Hearts. I thought Callum Patterson had been fouled and he got sent off. Yeah, that was I what know. they call him. We won't go into that. But he gets to the ball. So are we saying that you you cannot jump to get to the ball because now I, I was not I, I was not a good footballer. I, I played in defence though, and this always annoyed me because I would often I committed a lot of fouls anyway, which is probably not going to help my cause here. But you would have to if the ball is bouncing or rolling ahead of you, and you can't reach it, you know it's not a leg's length away. You jump to get there because you you give yourself that little jump and then you reach it and then you're, if you time it right, your foot gets to the ball as you hit the ground and you can clear it, slide it, whatever. Are we saying that as soon as your feet have left the ground, whether you're going in two-footed, whether you're going towards the player, because he wasn't going towards the player, he was jumping towards the ball, the player was running towards the ball as well. Are we saying that's always careless? doesn't matter how well-timed it is, how your foot is placed, whether studs are up, whether your foot's down, whether it's two-footed, whether it's one-footed. We're saying that as soon as both feet have left the ground for any kind of challenge, it's careless and it's going to be a foul no matter what else happens. Is that what we're saying? It's frowned upon. And, and it's the way frowned that the upon. Laws... Well, it's, it's frowned it's, upon. It's frowned, it's frowned <laughs> upon. Um, what age are you? Me, I'm 32. When did you play football at that kind of level where you were a defender? Um, I, I only ever played amateur football, early 20s. So, right, okay, so that's, that's 11 years ago. To be fair, Sunday that, League, though, I mean, I could commit a red card challenge in top flight oh, football and not get I mean, booked. And not get if, the booked boys, but... if the boy or girl still got all their limbs, then you're all right, play on. <laughs> but and what the, I mean the, is the, the method I know of what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but, a ball. But you've, you've <laughs> got to separate back then and now. And a lot of the former pros, this is the older the pro, I mean, the case in point is Stevie Nichol to an extent over here, Paul Mariner, Craig Barley less so because Craig tries to keep up with... <laughs> with the kind of current laws of the game, but he's still, he's still, he's, Sarri's his issue right now. He's not interested in tackles. It's Sarri at Chelsea. Um, but the older they are, the, it's like the old dog and new tricks. They're, they're set in their ways. It's, it's like, it's like institutional racism of those over the age of 70. They're not racist. They just don't think it's the way they've always done it. You go down to the, I'm not going to give examples because I, I, I hate, racism in all forms sectarianism and everything like that but it's not because your parents are racist it's because of the way they were brought up i was watching and, and this is a, an important tangent i think to 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 go off on i've got this thing called iptv it means i can watch various um british channels um through a, an app so i was watching a thing on more four the other day and it was it was about uh, i can't believe it happened in the 70s so it's a whole host of those from a different ages, uh, from kind of 20-something all the way up to 60s and 70s, and they, they looked back on TV shows in the 70s, and they were asked what they thought. Now, this, some of this stuff is just, you're like, what? And they had the actors and actresses that were involved in the shows on as well. And they were not trying to justify what they said, but they said it was a different era. And some of the stuff that was the Benny Hill stuff and everything like that, that couldn't even get near TV, not nowadays, but even 20 years ago. So there's a lot of people that when they look back or they, they see things, well, that's the way they, they, they have the, the, their own version of the laws or the rules or 
or, or whatever, whether it was acceptable back then. It's not acceptable anymore. And it, I'm not arguing here against you in that I think it was a red, because I don't. I think a yellow would have been sufficient. What I'm trying to give you is the reasoning behind why a red card <laughs> was awarded. And to go from institutional racism among septuagenarians and octogenarians to a tackle at Fur Park in Lanarkshire is a stretch, but I think I may just have managed it. I feel like I feel like Jeremy Paxman interviewing Michael Howard. <laughs> Did you threaten to overrule him? All I said was, are you saying as soon, as soon as you leave the ground, it's a foul regardless of any other factors? What, what was my response 20 minutes ago? I don't, I don't know. I, was... I said something and it got you cackling. I can't even remember because we were off on, on this tangent. Um, it's, we're in a situation now, and, and this is the whole thing. Fee, 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 IFAB, right? When the laws of the game were re- rewritten, they thought, okay, so let's split this. Let's split tackles into three things. Careless, reckless, and excessive force, right? And I know you're trying to argue that it wasn't even careless. It wasn't careless 20 years ago, but it is now. I know, but these are the thing that frustrates me is is their words. Like I'll, you know, I'll debate it. And the Hearts fans, as I say, it's a it's a bad demographic for me to debate it with because I get lots of people agreeing with me because they see it from a maroon perspective. And and don't get me wrong, there's probably so do a, I. There's a degree I've got of to have some. I'm going to have some semblance oh, you're of, miles, of you're there's, miles there's two sides to the story. I know, but what I don't like about this, so careless, reckless, excessive force, I'm saying, but I'm talking about the actual physical way a tackle is made. And people keep telling me it's, oh, it has to be read, it was, it was excessive force, it was reckless. How do you define that? And I know you can't just categorise these things because lots of tackles are different, but I watch football on a regular basis and you know different countries different levels and i see lots of blocks and tackles where players have to jump to get to the ball and both feet leave the ground and very often it's not a foul very often i'm talking about where the i guess the the ball is taken well before a player gets there or it's a block but people keep telling me you're not allowed to have both feet leaving the ground but if you time it perfectly and it's not towards the player it's not two-footed and you get the ball I just, I still, I read the rules and there's still nothing there telling me that Ben Garuccio's tackle should be a foul. It's, inter- then, look, it's interpretation look, still. That's what I that, don't like. The whole thing. The if whole someone, thing is interpretation. Where it does it say be... categorically that you can't, you can't jump? Because that's what everyone, the people who are arguing for it being a foul and a red to me were saying, oh, it's a foul and a red card as soon as his feet, his, both his feet were off the ground. I know one of them was behind him. One, he didn't have two feet forward. One was obviously underneath him. But it was obviously off the ground as well. But I'm like, well, someone show me what it says that you can't have both your feet off the ground when blocking or tackling. I don't. It doesn't say that anywhere, as far as far as, my, as, far as I'm aware. Nick Walsh is around 14 years younger than I am, so he's in his late 20s, right? And he's he's a FIFA referee, and they've got high hopes for him. But since he became a referee, he has dealt with exactly the same laws of the game and the way that they are worded all right he's not someone who's had to adapt he's not some now there have been tweaks they took out ten thousand words to the laws of the game and, and they tightened a few things up but they haven't changed this actual law law 12 since 2005 in 2005 nick walsh was 14 okay he was probably taking charge of local scout games cub games or, or whatever Right when when he got serious and wanted to become a referee, he's only had one set of laws with the wording pretty much as is, especially with Law 12 to deal with. So 
ever since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, that tackle that was made by uh, Ben Garuccio, to him, the way that he has been brought up to interpret, and this is the key word, to interpret the laws of the game, he's probably going to give a red. Now, if it hadn't been for Graham Chambers, this is what we don't know, the assistant referee, would he have given red? Would he have given yellow? Would he have given a free kick? Then uh, who knows? We, we don't know. But Graham Chambers is straight in his ear, right? Graham Chambers is older than Nick Walsh. So, so Nick Walsh has come through this system of, right, what's excessive, what's reckless, and what's careless. So he probably gets that better than any of us. He's not, he wasn't around in 1990 and before that. He doesn't remember unless his dad or he's watched videos or his mum and dad have showed him stuff that happened. That is a foul. And a red card to him, or maybe yellow or, or whatever, that, that's the way we have to do it. But for me, it's, it's too open to interpretation. And a challenge like that, there should be uniformity of decision. I don't mind if it's maybe one, possibly two out of ten would differ. But in my opinion, I think that's a 60-40. I think that's something that six out of ten would give a red, four out of ten refs would probably give a yellow. That's not what we want in football, and that is where the problem lies. Not whether it's red or whether it's yellow. It's the inconsistency of the interpretation of a decision. Okay. I'm sure the debate will rage on. If you want to have your say, um, give us a tweet uh, at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Uh, to finish up with the Motherwell game, um, oh, we, we're still on it. We're, oh, we're, yeah, we've got a goalkeeper. No, we're, we're still on it. So the, the free kick was given, and um, even <laughs> this is another. And they scored, right? Move on. Some matter next. And this is uh, this is one of these where obviously the Garuccio challenge happened. I was looking ahead to see what Hearts could do on the counter-attack, didn't think it was a foul, was shocked. When the free kick was hit very tamely towards um, Colin Doyle's goal, as he went to stoop to catch it, I started as well, looking around the pitch, who's he going to distribute the ball to? And was probably even more gobsmacked when it suddenly spun back off the goalkeeper and into the back of the net. Um, as goalkeeper howlers go, this is a real howler. This is This is, this is a bad one. Um, bobble, bobble, um, bobble. I think you're maybe being kind of FD says. I think because the sun was blinding him, he would require a wall. His shot was still an option, but he was squinting the whole half. And why he never had a cap is beyond me. Mark Davison says I'd love people to stop demonising Colin Doyle. He made a mistake. We all do. Get over it. Move on and support the boys in the next game. And uh, Maximus Hound says people seem to have forgotten McLaughlin's howler at Partick Thistle last year. It happens to most keepers. Doyle produced two massive saves that kept us in it. If Nasey or Suter took their chances, then it would have been a different story. Take on the chin and kick on. Now, we did that game, didn't we? You and I. It was yeah, we did. That game. It was, it was it a was day a... the old firm game. and did that yeah. one and then Partick. And I have to say, I know going into that game, you were like, they have got a good one here between the sticks. And then I saw him. I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> you think? And he went on to be, to be very good. The problem is, if he makes that mistake and then goes on and has world-class saves and Hearts win it, it's kind of forgotten about. But being in the last minute, no one's forgetting about it. And in terms of the goalkeepers, very quickly, uh, it's a bad error. I don't think he's made many errors. I know a few people aren't fans of Colin Doyle. I think on the whole, and I'm not convinced by either of our goalkeepers long term, but I don't think 
Doyle's at the point where I would drop him and put Bobby Slamal back in, whereas I thought Slamal, who'd started the season, season very well, had had a series of games where he'd looked completely lost. And the Livingston game, he was just it wasn't just one error. It was just the penalty. He was flapping at things. He was rushing off his line. That was a game where he had four, five, six bad moments. I, I, I would say at this point, you have to keep Doyle in. We've got two keepers to choose from, and I would still put Doyle in for now. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Because what, what do you do? If, if, if someone makes half an error, do you keep chopping and changing? What does that do for their morale? You, you, I think by keeping him in, I, th- I think that's the biggest kind of thumbs up that you can give someone. Uh, with this one here, for me, neither of them should be uh, first choice next season. But that's next season. That's In the summer, we look for another goalkeeper who can come in as a first choice. You've got to remember as well, we thought we had Alan McGregor. Al McGregor to Hearts was way down the line. Oh, yeah. And Hearts thought it was done, I think. And he, they he did think just, it was done. And, he, and stopped, obviously, he stopped messaging back, I think. He just started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because someone with brighter lipstick and better platinum uh-huh. blonde hair came in with more money. Um, and ultimately, that's where he ended up. So it was, I don't know how late in the day it was. I mean, you obviously have, well, you should have plans B and C and mm-hmm. whatever if you don't get your first choice. But... Zlomal had his moments, but again, as a shot stopper, fine. As a, a come in for a cross, no, no thanks. He was a nervous wreck. And you're still going to get the same Polish goalkeeper that not kind of let you down, but flapped when he comes back in, if he does. So I, I think you give him another choice. You can't go out and change anything. Um, I mean, is it Kelby Mason we've got? He's, he's not ready yet. I mean, he's, he's still playing. I think it's him. He's still playing reserve team football. So you, you make the most of what you've got. If you keep chopping and changing, it doesn't do either of them any good. I think you show faith with Colin Doyle, who had some really good saves. And it's, he doesn't need to be told he's made a mistake. He, he did. But the bottom line is, I don't think either of them are good enough to be Hart's first choice going forward from next season. We have to make a decision for now. And Colin Doyle, for me, should still be in goal against St. Mirren this weekend. And it takes me back to October when Bobby Zlomal had had a very good start to the season at Murrayfield in a big game against Celtic, he made an awful error in letting yep. a goal. And at that time, we said, you can't catch can't. You, you You keep him in. He's made an error, but on the whole, he's been good. And he'd had a decent game that match. A few months later, he'd got to the point where he'd had a run of a few games where he'd looked iffy, and then he'd had one game which was just error-strewn. And then he came out. And Doyle's the same. I think he's made one bad error. I know if he has an, you know, if, if on Saturday he lets three goals in against the middle, which are tremendous, it's, whole, it's a whole different story. But I think at this point, you still have to stick with him. You know, one of the big problems is, Laurie, and, and you, can, you can get behind this as well because you've watched Hearts over the last 10, 15 years. We've been blessed with bloody good goalkeepers and the bar has been set high. And the recruitment of these goalkeepers has been very good. So going to the recruitment it might not be the best right now. Uh, it was the best that they thought was available at the time. But I don't think you can castigate someone for bringing these two to the football club when a lot of goalkeepers over the past 10, 20 years have been brought to hearts and they have been absolutely fantastic. And as a result, the standards that have been set are very difficult for anybody coming in to adhere to. Skatchel on to Hartley. Hearts are coming forward. Jankowskis wide one side. Elliot the other. Jankowskis driving in. Jankowskis on to Hartley. Hearts take the lead. And the joy on Paul Hartley's face says it all. 
Okay, moving on. Let's stop talking about Hearts in the present day and no. um, step back maybe 13 years, 13, 14 years or so. Uh, because Paul Hartley did a terrific interview with Simon Ferry. And if you haven't followed these, they're on um, Open Goal. Uh, and it's Simon Ferry, who's a footballer himself and was at Celtic as a youngster, played for the likes of Dundee. And he does these interviews with, with football types, it's some ex-players, some managers. And they're very good. And you often get a lot more from them than you often do in, I guess, mainstream media, if you want to call it that. Uh, so the Paul Hartley one was terrific. He spoke about his time with Millwall and Hibs and Wraith Rovers at Johnston and Celtic. But, of course, as you'd expect, the majority, the, the bulk of it was his time at Hearts, which was where Paul Hartley really became the player that he's well known for. And I suppose it was an eventful time as well. So a few things to, to talk about in this one, Mark, because you know when Paul Hartley was a Hearts player, you were involved, you were at Hearts, you were commentating on games week in week out and you are behind the scenes quite often so we've not got a whole lot of time because we could probably spend hours on Paul Hartley and hours on Vladimir Romanov in that season um, a few things to touch upon now pre-Romanov era one of the things I want to to note about Paul Hartley is he credits Craig Levine with having a huge part to play in him becoming a much better footballer um, and I hadn't I hadn't heard the story about the Hibs game back in 2003. So I remember this game. And partly why I remember this game, not just because I was so pissed off we managed to lose to 10 men Hibs, but because I remember after the game I said, Paul Hartley's he's crap. He's he's not going to make it us. He's he's not good enough to play at this level. Um, and we lost 1-0. It was a game where Grant Brebner got sent off for Hibs in the first half and Gary O'Connor scored an injury time. And, Tempe and was, Moylan and threw it in right uh, at the end. Exactly, I went right through him. And Paul Hartley, now if you've not watched the interview, basically Paul Hartley said on the Monday they got taken in and Craig Levine took the video analysis and said, you know, they're going to watch the replay of the game. And he said that for almost the entire session, Craig Levine just sat there with his laser pointer pinpointing how terrible Paul Hartley had been saying, look at that, you didn't track back. You didn't follow that player. You didn't make a tackle. You're lazy. You're just, just basically just you're just in front of his teammates, slaughtered him. And Paul Hartley sat in the interview and said, "I actually thought I'd had a decent game." Um, <laughs> but he said it was at that point that Craig Levine said, "You know, if you play like that again for me, you won't play for this team again." And he actually dropped him for five or six weeks. He didn't get a start for five or six weeks. I think it was actually the um, UEFA Cup game against Zvezdnikar that he came back in at the starting eleven. But he said at that point he realised, he said, if I want to play at this level or a higher level, I need to actually think about those areas. I need to think about tracking back and closing down space and putting challenges in and basically working harder. And I didn't realise that. And I thought it was, I thought it was just sort of fascinating that it's, and it's interesting because we've had Craig Levine obviously being very critical of David Vanacek. And not all players are going to react like Paul Hartley, but he actually saw it as, you know, helping him that Craig Levine played a big part by being so harsh and slaughtering him in front of his teammates. And that actually made him kick on. And I, th I just thought it was fascinating. I don't think every player would take it that way, though. Hmm. I think you're spot on. And I think this is something we're going to do over the next few weeks, talk about the Hartley thing and talk about 2005, 2006 yeah, and, yeah. and that time. Because we've spent a lot of time on the Motherwell game. And, uh, and obviously, there's a limit to which... Um, people listen to podcasts. Yeah, we could definitely uh, and, have some more shows on this. No, without, without a doubt. So I think that's a good point to start because we've just spent 15 minutes or so talking about the laws of the game then and now. 
And I think players these days, compared with players back then, you've spoken about the comments to Vanacek. Craig Levine is, is a smart cookie, and he knows which players and which buttons to push on, on which players to get the best out of them. Uh, don't get me wrong, there's, there's players that would fall apart. And he knew he could do that because he knew the mentality of Paul Hartley, having worked with him um, since he'd signed him, that he, he, he would take that. He wouldn't do that to someone who he knows that would just it would shatter them. Yeah. So for, for, for Craig to do that, that was then, though. And it's different now. Now, you'll, you might get away with that with, with someone who's got a really strong personality, but those are dwindling now. We, we live in, in, in the kind of snowflake um, era now where everyone gets a, a certificate for participating and gone are the days where Jim Duffy and Cowboy McCormack would stand at the door to the gymnasium at Dens Park and say, you're not getting out until you fight us to get out. Doesn't happen anymore. Gone are the days of, of Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, although his, his, his methods were frowned upon, it got results. That doesn't happen anymore. And I think to an extent we're seeing that with the likes of Jose Mourinho. Oh, I was good back then. Remember me, I won all this. <laughs> yeah, but we, we've moved on since then. So for, for Paul Hartley, and Paul Hartley's always been high up in my estimation. I always got on really well with him. And I'll, I'll tell a quick story here. Um, I got a phone call one day or a text, whatever it was, at Radio 4. I need your help, but you can't tell anybody. And it was Hartley. I think I'd been to see Hearts earlier that day. And he goes, um, I need tickets. I was like, I'll do what I can, because they were pretty good at Radio 4 for, for helping out for those and such as those. I said, who's it for? Thinking it's going to be some, some big gig. He's like, promise you won't tell anybody. I think, of course I won't <laughs> tell anybody. M people. I said, M people? <laughs> he goes, aye. I like Heather Small. I was like, oh, Jesus, I can see why you don't want me to tell anybody. But I liked them as well. And I had their albums at the time. So I, I said, look, I'll see what I can do. So I think Scotty Wilson, Scotty Wilson helped me out because he was all, him and his brother Tom were always good to, good to go to guys to, to, to fix you up. And Stotty as well. So I said, right, I'll see what I can do. So it depends who called you, whether you went to Stotty or one of the Wilson brothers. So I went to one of the Wilson brothers and, and I, got, um, I got the tickets. So I gave them to Paul and next him I saw him. Oh, thanks, thanks. You know, tell anybody. I said, no, I've not, I've not told anybody, Paul. Um, and then the next time I was at Tyne Castle or Rickerton or whatever it was, um, they were just going out to training or something. It was after we'd done the press conference. And um, he saw me in the corridor and he goes, uh, there's a plastic bag for you at reception. I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Uh, he goes, I'll see you later. Because obviously they didn't want to talk about, thanks for getting me in, people tickets, with all the, the Hearts players around them. And it was the strip he wore from Scotland against Italy. I think it was 2005 this would have been, or whenever, mm -hmm. yeah, 2005. Yeah. It was the strip he wore for the World Cup qualifier against Italy at Hamden. Um, the, was that the 2-1 game that he won? Whatever one it was. Um, and he didn't need to do that. I, wasn't, I don't do things to get stuff back. But he was, he was always thinking about others. Um, and that's the type of person that he, that he was. And do you know what? When he came through the ranks as a manager, I really hoped it would be successful. And I thought, yeah, this kid's got it. And then he, he got de some decent moves. And I, I don't know why of late it's, it's not. And I, I just saw and I heard a different Paul Hartley speaking to Cy Ferry. That was the Paul Hartley I remember. Not the Paul Hartley that... I, I remember being back for a game at Dundee Hearts a few years ago when he was in charge at Dens. I mean, he was more secretive than the KGB. You're just like, this isn't the Paul Hartley I remember, the, 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 the fun-loving 
um, guy who was who was the heart and soul. This was this was someone totally different, and I was just so glad to hear him with Cy Ferry talk about that. But but go back to what you said, Laurie, and again off on a tangent. There are very few players I think nowadays you could get away with doing that too. But the fact he wanted to stick in, and the story he told when him and Wyner signed on the same day and were paraded in front of the fans, and he got booed because he was an ex hips player and he hadn't even kicked a ball. How many players nowadays would just be like, sod this, I'm just, I'm, I'm not having involved. He, he's a hard worker, didn't mind sweeping terraces when he was a, a ground staff guy, um, went down to Millwall um, when he had maybe other easier options to stay. A guy that was never frightened of taking a harder decision. And for that, my hat is doffed to him. And, and he's one of the good guys in Scottish football. I suppose Paul Hartley is uh, moving on up in our expectations after, Excellent. after Excellent. that story you told. That's very good. Anyway, we're not going to be able to talk too much about Paul Hartley and the Romanov years this week because we've already waffled on. As a, I don't know why I even thought we could talk about the Motherwell game and red cards and laws of the games, <laughs> laws, laws of the game, and then still have time for this. But I think we should keep going with it because there's some interesting, oh, no, no. there's some interesting things that have come out of it. Um, Darren Caldwell said you get the feeling that Zico could have dedicated a full podcast to the Romanov era alone oh. uh, what a listen that would be and I mean I think we'll, we'll touch on it over the next few weeks um, Chris Canning said it was great to hear his views on Craig Levine rated him and thought he was a good manager that will not go down well with the Levine out brigade um, and Stuart Miller says just crab football And um, yeah oh, oh, and oh, oh, oh. so next week we could maybe look at We'll look at a bit more of the, the Romanov era time. And, and not just what Paul Hartley spoke about, but I think it's obviously triggered some, some good memories, some good stories, and some good bits of information, especially on bonuses. Um, I'm not going to go into it just now, but <laughs> bonuses, mental, next week. <laughs> what I would say, here's your homework, okay, for, for next week, because we will be talking a lot more in depth. And... We'll try and give St Mirren five, ten minutes so we can focus on this. Because the plan was initially, we've been chatting during the week um, and the weekend about making this about Hartley in 05, 06. But this is something we've not even scratched the surface. And Paul Hartley hardly did so as well um, when he spoke to Cy Ferry. But your homework for next week, because it'll fit in nicely with what we're going to be chatting about, is that season, 2005, 2006. We touched upon it a little bit last week with the story about Stuart Dougal. Uh, and Paul Hartley wanting how long is left. Your favourite memory of 05-06 that wasn't either Paul Hartley's penalty against Aberdeen or the cup final game against Gretna. It can be the story leading up to to either of those, but it can't just be my favourite moment was most Paul Hartley's penalty or my favourite moment was winning on penalties against Gretna. It, you can have anything you want with the exception of those two things for your homework. The more obscure, the better. A bit like we had our penalties. Um, the, the, the more random, the, the better. Your favourite Hearts penalty. So for next week's show, your homework is your favourite memory from 05-06, from that season, um, or your quirkiest memory. Tell us what you've got and we'll, we'll read out the best next week. How about that? Does that work? Works for me. That's Hartley! 2 so last but not least, we'll wrap up with a quick look ahead to St Mirren, who come to Tynecastle on Saturday. Um, bottom of the table, St Mirren, um, but a St Mirren team on the back of a very respectable 2-2 draw 
at Pataudry. Um They have, however, lost 10 of the last 14 away games, just one win on the road in that time. And they're a team who were dismantled by Hearts at Tynecastle the last meeting in Edinburgh. However, they obviously got that first win in a long time that they needed when they played Hearts and Paisley. Now, this is a difficult one to look ahead to, Mark. Um, first up, team-wise, what are we going? Are we going four at the back? Who are we playing? How are we approaching it? What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever we play should be strong enough to beat St. Mirren. Because right now, I'd have them way, way below most of the other teams. Them and Hamilton. Um, and I, I think that in this case, the league table doesn't lie. If we slip up, whether it's with three at the back, four at the back, or, or whatever against St. Mirren at home, there is absolutely no excuse for that. What do we do on the left-hand side? I, well, I think Garucho's suspension forces us into playing three at the back because you've then got Mulraney playing on that left wing back role because otherwise you don't really have a left back and I don't want Mulraney as a full back um, and have him at wing back for this one because I think we'll see a lot of the ball. But do we need three centre-backs against what's likely to be one St Mirren striker? Um, they play three at the back or they have been doing in, in recent weeks. So I don't know. I don't know this one. I'm, I, I, I will entrust Mr Craig Levine to come up with a solution that will see us win this game by a couple of goals. And I think we need a very good Hearts performance here. I, I said it before in recent weeks, you know, I played devil's advocate to you a little bit after the perspective you gave. I think it was on the Livingston draw. But it's still by my account, I think it's been since September we've had one display that I think we've played impressively at yes, Tynecastle. Um, which was the St. Johnson win. I think we need, you know, we're playing the team bottom of the league. The, the fans are very disappointed at the defeat to Motherwell. Um, I think we need a victory and an impressive victory. You know that? And, and I don't necessarily mean I want five goals. An impressive victory could be another 2-0 victory or even a 1-0. If, you know, if, if we have a 1-0 victory and it's one of those where it's, we absolutely batter them and the keeper has the game of his life, it's 10, 15 shots on target and the only thing between it being a 1-0 and an 8-0 is just just bad luck and terrific goalkeeping but a display where we play with confidence and we attack and we take a team on because we have the players to do so we should be especially at Tynecastle looking at us at Mirren's side and going you know we are much better than them we should open them up and I just hope it's not one of these nervy awful games because if we have a nervy awful game and we win 1-0 I can guarantee you the Hearts fans are still not going to be happy come five o'clock on Saturday no but we need to get three points but what I would say here we have for me, a much uh, better squad than they have. But we're now getting to the stage of the season, Laurie, where teams realise <laughs> that the penny finally drops. Oh, shit, we're in a bad situation. We need to start fighting here. And this is when you start to get some silly results. And I don't think for one second we'll get a silly result at Tynecastle on Saturday because I think our players are professional enough. But I think we have to be willing to battle and to fight and to scrap as well as playing some good stuff. Now, Craig Levine mentioned when we were going through that horrible spell in around about December time when we still didn't have any of our injured players back that he, he, he kind of he forced them to, to try and play the only way that he thought that they could and it wasn't going to be pretty, but it was he was hoping it was going to be effective. I think we can play some good stuff as well. And I, I know what you're saying. If it's a scrappy 1-0, you take it, but they'll still be disappointed. We've got better players than them, but we have to ensure that those players 
are up for the fight. And the one thing I would say about, and I'm going to identify one in particular, um, I think Sean Clare's got a lot of ability. The one thing that I'm not yet convinced about, when the going gets tough, does Sean Clare get going? He's a nice player, a nice guy, a technical player, good skills, good goals, uh, good ability. But would you want him alongside you in the trenches? I think we'll see if, if he deserves to be alongside us in the trenches on Saturday. I'd start him. I've got full confidence in him. But if things are still nil-nil with an hour gone and they're battling and scraping and scrapping for everything that they're getting, I, t- I watched the game. I, I was I was in the house with Ava Grace on on Saturday, and I watched. I was on Red TV watching uh, the Aberdeen game. They th- it's exactly the same for us. They thought sent men at home. They're rubbish. We'll beat them. They went there. They battled for everything. They were well organised. They were scrappy, and it wasn't enough for Aberdeen. They didn't win. Um, it was it was two two. So that is, that would be my slight concern that as long as the technical players we've got are, are willing to to battle and fight and not just expect to show up and get all three points, we'll be fine. If they don't, then next week's podcast will be interesting. Well, let's hope it's interesting for the right reasons. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And we'll, we will be back next week uh, with a show. Looking at that game, we'll be talking more about Paul Hartley and the Romanov era. If you have anything to add to what we've discussed this week, please give us a tweet, which is at Around the Funnel. Or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk thank you for joining me mark and for disagreeing wholeheartedly with some of my views it's always good to have different perspectives and um let's hope there's more agreeing next time